Let's stand again. Let's open our Bibles to Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 10. This is a really important passage, and, and I'm so glad you're here. And I want to remind you that these first nine chapters uh, of Proverbs are setting us up and teaching us the importance of wisdom. It really teaches the importance of, of mom and dad teaching their children wisdom, of us learning wisdom and being wise in our life and what it's all about. So as we go into the rest of it in late June and July, that we'll really have this foundation. It says here in verse 10, My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. You've got to be a, enough of a leader to say no to things. You've got to be strong enough to say, I'm not, I'm not going to be a part of that. He says, do not consent. So, Lord, bless this tonight. I, I know what you've laid on my heart. I pray you'd encourage this in our spirits. Help us to be wise in this, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. Now, you can talk to your neighbor about this if you want to, uh, but here's what I'd like for you to write on your paper right here. It says, uh, you know, what, in, what influences your life? I want you to think about the things that influence your life, the thing you, things you see influence other people's lives. Now, I'm not talking about, for instance, drugs. I'm talking about what would influence somebody to take drugs. So what are... Uh, the influences that influence your life or you see influencing other people's lives. So go ahead and take a minute. You can talk to somebody around you if you want to. Uh, a lot of right answers for this. I just want you to think about yourself and maybe your family and what influences their life for a minute. Let's write as many down as you can think of. You can keep writing. Um, ben, come on up here real quick. Ben is my lovely assistant tonight. Isn't he a lovely assistant? Uh, tell me some things. Tell us some things that influence people's lives. Who's got one? Family. Family influences our life. Okay. People, sometimes places, okay. Anybody else? Yes. TV, television, radio, media. Weather can influence our lives. Popularity and acceptance. Popularity, desiring to be popular or accepted. So our desire is to fit in. Work, our workplace can influence our life. Scripture. We hope Scripture influences our life. Okay, I, I can't hear you. Recognition, a desire for recognition, driving for recognition can influence our life. Government can influence our life. They're really trying to right now. Pain and, Pain and suffering can influence our life. Oh, there you go. A desire for money can influence our life, can it? 
Desire for ease and comfort can influence our life. Culture, absolutely culture influences our life. Time can influence our life. Teachers. The church, we hope, oh God, I'd be really depressed if the church doesn't influence our life. So, yeah. Role models. Spouse. Anybody else have another one? God. Hopefully God, the Holy Spirit will influence our life. Our joy and peace can influence our life. We desire for joy and peace. I, I would, uh, I'll throw one up there. You. We said God, the devil tries to influence our life. Anybody else have a big one that hasn't been thrown up here? We got Jesus. Yep, Jesus influences our life. Here's what you've got to look at with this. Thank you, Ben. You've been very helpful. Then you do great. You know, we, we look at these and we've got to ask ourselves, okay, which ones are, are definitely supposed to influence our life and will definitely have, be a good influence? So I would look and I would say uh, the Scripture is one that is supposed to influence our life and will always, if we study it rightly, give us good influence. We, we look and we say uh, the church is supposed to, but could the church be a bad influence? Yes. Yes. Yeah, there's times when, you know, if you're not careful, the church can be a wrong influence. People get all out of whack. So you've got to be careful about that. Our spouse is, is the same way. Our spouse should be a good influence, but some, I know people whose spouses drag them down, try to keep them from the house of God, try to keep them from living a righteous life, uh, try to do all sorts of th uh, things in their life. Uh, you know, we look and we say, God, well, the Holy Spirit, we cert certainly hope the Holy Spirit, we know the Holy Spirit, if we allow him to, will be a positive influence in our life. So here's, here's what we've got to look at a little bit here is, okay, all of these things can influence. Now, there's some that we know they're going to be a bad influence every time. Uh, the devil is going to be a bad influence every time. Jesus says he comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus says he is the father of all lies. Uh, the Bible says, the Word of God teaches us that he appears as an angel of light. He comes to us looking like he's doing something good for us, but he's a deceiver, and he wants to destroy in our life. And we have to learn how to separate his voice and his influence from the influence of the enemy. And the way we do that is by knowing Scripture. Knowing Scripture. So, I'll give you the instance. For instance, the girl comes in. She says, I've met this guy. We're in love. Uh, we, we, you know, we're, we're just really, this is just the greatest thing that God's brought. Well, tell me about his faith. Well, he's an atheist. 
He doesn't, doesn't believe in God. Kind of gets angry at me going to church. But, oh, I love him so much, God's brought him into my life. No, he hasn't. The devil's brought him into your life. That's what's brought him into your life. So I hope, you know, I hope he'll get saved. Well, we all hope he'll get saved. You know, but I'm not hitching my wagon up to that. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not letting the enemy fool me in that way. So you've got to be careful uh, how the enemy tries to deceive us and move in our life. We've got to be careful about, you know, you know, politics and how they impact our life and TV and media and teachers and our desire. Here, here, th- this is really good. Our desire for comfort, our desire for recognition, our desire for everything to be joyful and peaceful, our desire for popularity, all of a sudden, because we want those things more than we want righteousness. We want to be, we want, we want ourselves or our children to experience the joy, the peace of this world more than we want them to be righteous. We can suddenly be influenced into things, led into things that deceive us and take us the wrong direction. You know, when I held my children in my hand uh, when, when they were first born, I remember this so clearly with each other. Uh, the thought, the, the overwhelming thought, this person is going to spend eternity somewhere. This person has the power to bring great joy into my life or to worry me to death. That's what this person has, to break my heart. And it all comes down to what's going to be allowed to influence their life. And so I've, I've been very, very careful about what I allow to influence their life. And I, I would tell you, when we sit and look at this, we, as parents and grandparents, we can't just think about it for ourselves, but you think about, you know, teachers or coaches or other people of influence in their life. And we think many times, well, these are benign. But if you dig a little deep in some of them, you discover they're not benign. There's agendas. There's a purpose in what they're doing. And you've got a a, a diligent parent is aware of that and is aware of an agenda wherever it may be. It may be in a school system. It may be in a school board. You begin to understand the agenda, and then you've got to deal with that agenda and say, how do I protect my child from that influence, from those kind of things? And when you're going into a classroom in college or university or where, you've got to be aware, what's the agenda? What, what, what is the, what is the, and it's, it's not long until that agenda, you go into a science class or you go into something, you begin to understand there's an agenda here. There's something they're trying to teach us. There's something they're trying to influence the way we're thinking. And you've got to be aware of that. TV shows. How is this TV show influencing my moral point of view? How is it influencing my children's moral point of view? How is this making me think? The music they listen to. How is it influencing the way they think about sexuality, the way they think about God, the way they think about 
conversations and, and words and the things that they say. You've got to be aware of this and talk about this and understand, listen, there's an influence that comes through these things. You know, I would warn any parent, there is a, especially with the internet today, and you, you may have heard me tell this story, I was talking to a, a consultant once and he was asking me about hiring staff and the questions that we ask and and I, I, you know, I told him, I, one of the questions we ask, and we ask a lot of questions, have you, uh, have you ever struggled with pornography? And he looked at me and said, wrong question. I said, why? I, I thought that was a good question. I thought it was a bold question. I thought it was a, a right He said, no, 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 not, not in this day and age. You ask them when they struggle with pornography. I said, what do you mean? He said, these kids grow up with a computer in their room and they have seen things they shouldn't see. We begin to read the statistics, and we discover that the average age uh, a child sees something that they shouldn't see on the Internet is about eight or nine years old. It's a scary day. You've got to understand. That's why in, in our home, we, we put the computers where everybody was going to be. We put them in places where we could monitor them. We monitored what they what sites they went on, we watched everything, not because we thought our kids were bad, but because the opportunity is so bad that it can influence them and suck them into something before you know what's going on. We have to be aware of influences. We have to be aware of the influences over our life. Friendship. Uh, I don't know if we do. we have friendship up here? I don't see friendship. Friends, friends are one of the big ones. You know, people, and we say people. Uh, you, you've got to know, you've got to know. I, I had friends that I ran around with in high school that, you know, they weren't evil people. They, they didn't hate God. They loved God. But if, when we were together, we were going to get into something, Henri. You know, we are going to find something to do. Now, that, that, that wasn't being evil. That was just being goofy, being a teenager. But there's other, I've seen so many kids as a youth pastor, I saw kids, good kids, kids that love, and they, but they get around this one person and all of a sudden they'd be trying things and doing things that if they weren't around that person, they wouldn't be doing. They wouldn't be talking that way. They wouldn't be acting that way. And so I've got I've to look. I used to always tell parents, you want to know how your kids are acting when they're not with you? Look at who their friends are. Your kid knows how to keep it covered up. You'll discern it through their friends. When you look at their friends, you know who they are. You're going to see something about who your kid is. So these influences, and we, our job, what we read here in, in Proverbs with, with our children, is to protect their influence, and we're to also watch what's influencing us. There, there are people at work, there are people in our life that if, if you're not careful... They will make you negative. They will discourage you. They will make you feel rebellious towards the leaders around you. They'll stir you up about stuff that's really none of your business. And all of a sudden, you're all worked up about things. And if you, if you really step back and you think, the only reason I'm really worked up about that is them. It really doesn't bother me that much. But this is a key thing. What? What do I want to influence my life? I've also got great friends. I also had great friends that when I was with them, guess what? They influenced me towards righteousness. 
They influenced me towards good things. Until I got mature enough to say, you know what, I want to be a friend like that. I want to influence people towards righteousness. I'm not going to be influenced by those who aren't. I'm not going to go to those places or those, be with those people. So we have to, we have to understand, these are the influences around our life, and you've got to be aware of them, because if you're not, you're just going to be influenced. So this is what Proverbs is talking about in this, in this, uh, this part, portion of the verse. He's just talked to us about the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, and now he comes to us and he tells us, uh, what, what's this first sentence? My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. Don't give in to them. Don't be a part of them. So what does a bad influence do? So let's, let's look at, at Proverbs chapter 1. He says, my son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie and wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole like those who go down to the pit. And we shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot with us. We will have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their, from their paths. For their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. For in vain it is a net is a net spread in the sight of any bird, but these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. Now, it's pretty easy for us to kind of gl- glide through a passage like this and say, look, nobody's trying to get me to go out and rob people. I hope. But it's much deeper than that. What this passage is telling us is that bad influences make grandiose promises. They tell us big things. This is what the media does to us. This is what music does to us. This is what culture does to us. It makes grandiose promises about if you live this way, this is the right way to live, this is how you should live. And listen, these grandiose promises appeal to our flesh. They appeal to our lusts. They appeal to your children's lusts. And, and you just got to be aware. You can't be naive about where your children are at. But what they do in the end is they leave us ensnared and they leave us destroyed. They trap us in things that ensnare us. They destroy relationships. They destroy our health. They bring addiction into our life. They destroy our moral compass. They destroy our, our, our right relationship with others. These are destructive things. They look and sound good in the moment, but they are a lie of the enemy to destroy our life. Bad influence is, motivate, is motivated by the enemy appealing to personal greed and personal desires. He makes excuses for us to do it. He uses people to influence us to do it. He glorifies it. 
on TV and our generation, on TV and through music and through all these things that we've talked about. He glorifies these things so that we think it's right and natural, but they are there to ensnare us and to, to destroy us. In Proverbs chapter 7, it says this, For at the window of my house I look through my lattice, and I, I have seen, I've seen among the simple, I have perceived among the youth, young people, a young man lacking sense, passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house in the twilight and the evening at the time of night and darkness. And behold, the woman meets him dressed as a prostitute. Now think about what that means. She's dressed provocatively and inviting to the flesh, wily of heart. She is loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home. Now in the street, now in the market, at every corner, she lies and waits. This is all over the place. It's all over. Lies in wait. She seizes him and kisses him, and with a bold face she says to him, I had to offer sacrifices the day I paid my vows, so now I have come out to meet you, to seek you eagerly, and I have found you. The enemy comes to seek us eagerly. I spread my couch with coverings, colored linens from Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us make our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. Now listen, for my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him at full noon. Uh, at full noon he will come home. With much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. This is what the influencer does. All at once, he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter, as a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver, as a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. And now, sons, listen to me and be attentive to my words of my mouth. Let your heart turn aside from her ways. Do not stray into her paths. For many a victim has she laid low, and all, of her and all of her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is the way to Sheol, the way to hell, going down to the chambers of death. Again, this is easy to look at this and kind of pass through it and say, well, this is just an ungodly woman uh, you know, doing ungodly things. But the imagery here is much deeper than that. The imagery here is about an influencer. The influencer appeals to the simple. Who are the simple? It's one who lacks understanding. They don't understand the consequences. They don't understand what they're getting involved in. They don't understand the long-term ramifications of what they're doing. In this case, they very specifically describe a young person a person who lacks experience and is drawn to pleasure, drawn to momentary gratification. Now, that can be a young person in age, or it can simply be young in age of faith. 
faith is not measured in years. The age of faith age is not measured in years. Faith age is measured in biblical knowledge and obedience. So you can have a guy, he may be, you know, 60 years old, and he has been so uh, so unfaithful, so lackadaisical about the Word that even though he's been around church for years, he's about three years old. Maybe he's a teenager. And he is able to be seduced because we don't just grow up in faith because we hang out. You get older in age because you hang out. You don't get mature just because you hang out. You begin to learn some things. You begin to learn. And one of the acts of wisdom is to learn from other people's mistakes and not have to make them yourself. So he's saying, listen, the, the enemy appeals to our inexperience. He appeals to our lack of foundation. This is why we've got to study the Bible, know the Word, teach the Word to our children, help them get it deep inside of their heart because the enemy is going to appeal to, the, to our ignorance. This is, this is what happens so many times with, with children and even with adults. You take an adult man who can tell you about every fishing lure that you can imagine, can tell you about every golf ball and what those golf balls are made to do, can tell you about every player on the Cubs or the Cardinals, and then you ask him to find the book of Proverbs, and he doesn't know if it's in the New Testament, Old Testament, he doesn't know anything. Not that that makes you mature, but I'm, just, I'm using that to say he, he hasn't been diligent about knowing the principles of the Word. Our call is to, is to be a people who have understanding, who have knowledge, so that God can turn it to wisdom. The influencer is dressed as a prostitute. What, what is it, what's this saying? It's saying the, the, the influencer that is of the enemy is going to appeal to our base desires. It's going to appeal to our weaknesses. And it's going to try to suck us into it. Now, in this case, you think about the issue of sexual pleasure. But it can be, it can be a rebellious spirit that sucks you in. It, it, it can be a, a mean-spirited thing that, boy, you get caught up in it and you become just kind of mouthy and nasty. It can be a dishonest spirit that excuses away doing what's honest. There's all kinds of what the, the enemy's going to take. He, he studies you. The enemy's powers. They, they know what your weaknesses are, and they appeal to our weaknesses. They appeal to our insecurities. They appeal to our fears. They appeal to our desires for instant gratification. They appeal to our worries, and they drag us away. So they come dressed in a way to be appealing to us. The influencer, again, he makes great promises and lies about the consequences. Makes great promises. 
lies about the consequences. Doesn't tell us how it's going to turn out. Paints it all up. You know, you see this in so many commercials today. Have all of my life. These, they paint these commercials up where everybody's having fun. It's a real party and everybody's beautiful and wonderful. And they don't show the consequences. They don't show the outcome. Because that's what the enemy does. He influences us, appealing to, boy, I want to be a part of that kind of crowd, even though he doesn't tell us the consequences. The husband, in this illustration, represents our relationship with God. The, the seducer can represent the enemy or who the enemy is using. And again, the lie is the same. Surely you will not die. This is the lie of the enemy from the beginning. You ignore God, it's not going to have negative consequences. Pleasure, in this case, is promised. And this passage warns us. It says, listen, many, many and mighty are those she has deceived. This gives all of us. This isn't just for the weaklings. The mighty men and women of God have been deceived at this very point. So let's look deeper. Remember, these passages remind us of the importance of parental teaching, but also warn us about ourselves. So we'll go back to Proverbs chapter 1, verse 20. Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the market, she raises her voice. So what we're getting a picture of here is that in every corner, there's the influences of the enemy crying out to us. On every street corner, every place, the influences of the enemy are crying out. But also, uh, what else is crying aloud on, on, on every street and in the marketplace? Wisdom. This voice is calling out for wisdom. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gate, she speaks how long will, O oh simple ones, will you love being simple? You're going to love this mess that keeps coming into your life? When are you going to learn and get over it? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my re reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. Can I just stop and tell you, this, this is so important. This thing I said a few minutes ago, our kids are going to spend eternity someplace. You've got to look at your kids, young and old, you've got to look at your kids and say, is there a spark of eternal life in them? Is there anything in them that says to me, they've been born again? Not just that I want to see it, but can I see it? Is it really there? Is there something that says they've moved away from being simple ones and they become young men and young women of understanding? And my role, how, however uncomfortable it may be, my role, your role, is to help them come to understanding. And boy, that, 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 can, be, that can be tough, but better, better sorrowful days, tough days here than sorrowful days around the great white throne judgment. So here we go. Wisdom is everywhere, 
but we miss it when we're simple. See, the simple just see the moment. This is a huge issue. People who live with no thought of what their choices lead to. This is one of the great lessons of school that we help our children see. Look, if you goof off today, you're going to have bad grades tomorrow. So let's, let's, what I always tell kids in, in schools, listen, the harder you work today, the easier tomorrow. It doesn't mean tomorrow's easy, but it's a lot easier if you build the right foundation today. We want to think about consequences. Where is this leading? Where is this going to go to? Where is this taking me? Where am I going to end up if I keep going down this road? What is going to be the end of this story? And this doesn't take prophetic wisdom for us to figure out what the end of the story is. And so we've got to be able to, we've got to, moms and dads, we've got to be voices against being simple-minded. Simple-minded is living in the moment with no thought of consequences. No thought of what's going to happen. No thought of what's going to take place. Now sadly, you know, as a youth pastor, I see parents who are simple-minded. They let their kids go do stuff. I'd be sitting there going, why in God's name are you letting them go do that? Well, you know, it'll be fun for them. The enticement of the enemy always appeals to fun for us. We've got to be the ones saying, no, no, I'm not comfortable with that party. Oh, but everybody else is going. <laughs> A lot of people are going to hell, sweetheart. We're not going to that party. You know, broad is the way that leads to destruction. Narrow is the gate that leads to righteousness. We're not going to be a part of that. You know, we're, we're, we're dealing with the issue here of where, where you're, whether you're learning whether, you're, whether we're growing, whether we're figuring out the consequences of our life and asking God to heal us. It's a huge issue. Scoffers are doubters. They don't, they, don't, they don't want to accept the Word. They don't want to accept wisdom. They don't want to learn from their past. And they find joy in making light of all warning. That's not going to happen to me. That's not the way it's going to turn out. That's not the way it's going to end for me, even though it's ended that way for everybody else. And they scoff because they, 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 don't, they, they, they find joy in what they're doing and they literally doubt what other people are saying to them. The fool hates knowledge. One of the the things I always wrestled with 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 teenagers at times was this statement of, uh, you know, I just got to learn on my own. That is the cry of the fool. The cry of the fool is, don't tell me anything, don't teach me anything, don't give me any knowledge. Let me, you know, learn from my own mistakes. That's just foolhardy. 
And that's what the Bible's talking about. This fool who just, they despise knowledge. They despise hearing anything that will help them. They despise it. They turn their back on it. They're going to go ahead and do their own thing. They're foolhardy. They, they, they want to learn from, this, from themselves. They're driven by their momentary desires, not learning from the experience of others. That's the fool. That's the fool. And, friends, just because we love them or we love ourselves doesn't mean that the fool doesn't end in a train wreck. Proverbs 124. Because I have called and you refuse to listen, have stretched out my hand and no one is heeded. Because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I also will laugh at you, I will also laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you. God said, listen, I have reached out to you. I have sent people with knowledge into your life. You have hated knowledge. You've scoffed at wisdom. You have been simple-minded. I've kept reaching out to you. And the day where you're going to pay the price for that foolhardiness is going to come and it's going to bring calamity. It's going to bring a lot of pain. It's going to bring a lot of suffering. And you're going to run to me and say, help me get out of this, but you are ensnared. Doesn't mean God's not gracious. I remember when I was a teenager, we had a group from a college come in and they put on a play. And as a teenager, this play was fascinating because it was, they, they, had, they had an altar call in the play and this girl comes up and she is weeping and weeping and weeping and weeping and weeping at the altar. And they're trying to comfort her and they're praying for her and, and finally says, I've sinned so bad. I've done so many terrible things. God can't forgive me. And they, oh, they're assuring her, God can forgive you. And it was, it was a very emotional little play. And, and finally, they convinced her that God loved her and that he would forgive her, forgive her of her sin, whatever it was. And she was like, oh, good, good, good. And then she looked, she says, does this mean I'm not pregnant anymore? And boy, the startling thought of that. As a teenage kid, slapped me in the face. The startling fact that God will love me and God will forgive me but the circumstances of my sin may still be upon me and life may still have tough consequences and there may be hard things to overcome, whether that's because of addictions, whether that's because of sexual sin, whether that's because of breaking a law, there can be a, because of a car accident, because you were foolish. It can still, those consequences can still be there. You know, this is why, you know, you've heard, heard my wife talk about this a while back. This is one of the things I did with my kids. When they turned 15, we were a year away from, gradu- from, from getting a driver's license. When they turned 15, every time I read in the newspaper about uh, a car wreck involving teenagers, 
And some of them were pretty dramatic. Some of them, other kids were killed in them. Some of the kids were maimed in them. And, and they'd be in the paper. I, I, I said, okay, I want you to read this article. I said, oh, that's so morbid. No, I wanted them to understand. When you get behind the wheel of a car or you're in a car with your friends, you are not immune. There are consequences for bad decisions. There are absolute consequences for bad decisions. That's what I was trying to teach you. That's what I talked about. Listen, you have a, when you get behind the wheel of a car, you have a responsibility to everybody in that car. You have the responsibility of people in other cars to, if there's an accident, if something happened, that you can sit there and say, you know what, I was not acting foolishly. It was just, an, it was an accident. I can put my head on the pillow and say, there's nothing I could have done about that. It was just an accident. Nothing can save you. Now, I tell them, nothing can save you from having an accident. Accidents happen. But if they happen because of foolishness, then you bear responsibility. You bear responsibility. This is, the, this is the course in every action of our kids' lives. We have to help them to understand. You bear some responsibility. And when that day of reckoning comes, our prayers for deliverance from that reckoning are going to be ignored. Proverbs 7.1. My son, keep my words and treasure up my commandments within you. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister. Call and call insight your intimate friend to keep you from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress and her smooth words. This is a call to recognize what is trying to influence our lives. That's what this passage is all about. And what, the, what, what, what we're being told is let the Word of God be your treasure, your love, your sister, your close friend. It's so interesting to me that the guy who wrote this was Solomon, who went against the clear direction of the Word and married foreign women and allowed them to bring their gods into Jerusalem until by the end of his life they ha he has set up idols throughout Jerusalem and Israel is being pulled astray and judgment comes on Solomon. Here's a guy who said, treasure, love wisdom, keep her close to you, do this, and yet failed to do it himself. And because of it, when you read the rest of First and Second Kings, and you read the rest of what's happening, all of the turmoil in First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, all of that comes from the seed that Solomon planted in Jerusalem. And so his words, inspired by the Spirit of God, even though he didn't pay attention to it all the time, learn the Word of God, study it, plant it in your life, obey it. The Word will keep you from the influence of, uh, influences of life that will destroy you. This is, comes back to, you know, think about this aspect of the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Guys, I, I'm just telling you, I was absolutely convinced. I was absolutely certain that if I got drunk, the Lord would come that day. I was, I was positive. I was positive. If I did some sinful thing, God would say, blow it now. 
and the trumpet would blow and I'd be left behind. That fear that you're going to stand before God. Then I had the secondary fear that if I don't stand before God, I'm going to stand before my dad. And he might send me to stand before God. <laughs> stand before God. You know, there, there's wisdom in that fear of God. There's wisdom. We fear God. We respect him. We stand in awe of him. We're certain uh, that, that he's not joking around when he tells us not to do things, that there's a warning here for us. And then as we obey him, guess what happens? As we obey him, as we let him influence him, guess what? The fear begins to subside and a deep love for him begins. And now we follow him out of love, not out of fear. But I'm telling you, fear's where it starts at sometimes. It starts with this understanding that we're going to answer to him. And so this is something we, it's, it's not bad for your kids to have a little healthy fear of God. It's not, not, not a bad thing for them to understand we're all going to stand before God someday. This is, this is the thing. All right. Has this been good tonight? Lord, I just pray that tonight you'd help us to see every influencer in our lives, for those, those of us who have children and grandchildren, to recognize, uh, Lord, the ones we want to have influence their life and the ones we don't want to have influence their life. Uh, guide us and direct us in this, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do tonight. I had you write these things down for a reason. Uh, what I want you to do before you go is take a few minutes, and, and if you would, I want to encourage you just to, to spread out and go stand someplace by the wall, front or back or side, facing that wall where you're not seeing anybody else, and pray through these things. Just pray. Father, free me from any influence of the enemy. Any place where the enemy's, where the enemy's influenced my life in the past, it's affected my thinking, affected my heart, affected my, the way I see you, affected the way I see the world, begin to free me of that. And, and walk right down there. Free me from it. What is influencing me today? Cleanse me with your word. Take a, take a minute. Just pray for yourself. God, cleanse me. Free me. Help me not to be influenced by the enemy. And, and then take a minute and say, free my family. Pray for your kids, your grandkids, your, your spouse. God, free our family from the influence of the enemy. Friends, our country needs us to pray for them. Free our country from the influence of the enemy. There's so many things going on. Lord, the church needs to pray. We believe prayer changes it. God, free our country from the influence of the enemy. And, and then finally in that, pray, free our church. Free our church from the influence of the enemy. Let us be a holy, righteous, spirit-filled, worshiping, on-fire church, holy and pure before you, solid in the Word. Just, just cleanse our church. The Bible, see, this is what Jesus said. Jesus taught us to pray, deliver us from the evil one. That's what you're doing. God, deliver us. Deliver our church, deliver our country, deliver our family, deliver me. And then, then after you've done that for a couple minutes, you can say, you know, five minutes, two minutes, 
20 minutes, how long you feel led to stay there and pray. I'd like for you just to come down around the altar. Now, we're not going to gather around the altar. I'd just like for you to come down on your own and pray through this last set of prayers. God, let souls be saved here every week. Amen? Let souls be saved every week. God, just draw lost people in here, and when they come in, let your overwhelming spirit convict them and draw them to you. Let the people of our church be faithful to your house. Let us not look for ways. Let's be faithful to your house to learn and to grow and to be established in you. Plant wisdom and passion in our hearts to be your witnesses. Fill us up with boldness and give our church joy in giving and generosity in all the ways you'd have for us to to do. Okay, so when you've done that, you're dismissed. Okay? So go find a place of prayer on your own. Pray for a few minutes. Seek God for this. Open your heart to hear his voice and let him speak to you.